This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE IntelliNews. With the Ukraine. This is the podcast version of a webinar we recorded, which you can find at the BNE IntelliNews channel on YouTube. So, hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Ben Harris. I'm the editor in chief of BNE IntelliNews. Um, today, we're going to have a small roundtable discussion about Ukraine, which has really been through the fire. It started off with enormous uh, enthusiasm on the election of Zelensky, and then from about March onwards, it's sort of been going downhill. And now the question is, where do we go from here? Looks like Ukraine will get through to the end of the year, but next year there's a big question mark. I'm joined by um, Yevgenia Slepstova, who's a senior economist with Oxford Economics, and Elena Rybakova, who's the deputy chief economist with IIF. Ladies, pleased to have you with us. So um, before we begin, to recap, like I say, um, there was this huge wave of enthusiasm on Zelensky's election, and they got off to a really good start because his seven of the people also won a majority in the parliamentary elections that summer. They put up 500 laws, um, a huge schedule with deadlines um, to do most of the reforms that have been lacking for the last 20 years, and got off to a great start. And some big achievements, too. There was a land market law passed. Um, at the insistence of the IMF. Um, The National Bank of Ukraine, the NBU, has done an outstanding job with not just bringing inflation under control, but totally crushing it down to 2.8% post-Soviet record low. Then in April, Clearstream came in and hooked the Ukrainian local debt market up to the international financial system, which produced another source of uh, financing, which hugely helped the government, made it much easier to, to finance the budget brought in, I think, $4.8 billion in the first 12 months alone. And then in June, there was uh, a new standby agreement, an SBA with the IMF, um, and $2.1 billion, I think, was received, uh, shortly followed by a Eurobond. So that's the good story. And the bad story was that from the beginning of this year, um, you had the oligarchs starting to make trouble, particularly Igor uh, Kolomoisky and Gontareva, the former governor of the central bank. Her house was burnt down in one of the more spectacular events. And then there were court rulings trying to uh, undo the nationalization of Privat Bank, which is a red line for the IMF, given that the state put some $5.5 billion into bailing it out. And then there was a huge reshuffle of the government in March, just as the COVID crisis was getting on. And since then, most of the reformers, the technocratic government that Zelensky brought in, have been sacked. And that culminated most recently in the Constitutional Court basically undoing the main anti-corruption laws um, that have been put in place, again, at the IMF's insistence, and threatening to turn into a constitutional crisis because Zelensky is threatening to sack the judges, which he can't do. Um, so, ladies, we're going to get through this year. It's been a roller coaster ride. Um, however, what's, first of all, your general take? I mean, if you listen to that story, then a lot of progress has been made. And I've been tempted to write a piece saying Ukraine failed state. 
but it's not. Um, they've got whatever it is, two, uh, 26 billion in reserves, which is 4.4 months of coverage, which gives them stability. Inflation remains low. The central bank has dealt with the banking sector, or the MPLs uh, are now provisioned for at least. And incomes are actually going up, which is driving consumption. So to me, it's a very confused picture. Um, and the president at the center of that seems to be confused as well, flip-flopping between you know, not acting against the oligarchs and on the other hand, pushing the reforms and then on the other hand, sort of backing off. It really isn't clear where we stand. What's your general impression? Evgeny, maybe you go first. Yeah, sure. I mean. It's a very accurate picture that you've described. I mean, it's a typical Ukraine story, two steps forward, one step back, one step back. And it's just an example of a country that is really struggling to come out of its, uh, it's basically the main um, status quo, which is really hard to shift is the corruption which is extracting all the rents from the economy. And that's something that IMF has made a centerpiece of its programs since 2015. Um, and, and something that is really hard for Ukraine to change. Uh, back when Zelensky was elected, I, I wrote that, look, he's a product of the same system. Uh, he, he's not someone, he's not an outsider. He comes being financed by, Kol by Kolomoisky. Uh, being his close business partner, he will struggle. So he, he did try to put a technocratic um, facade and even was talk of libertarian agenda, even though I don't think it ever was. Um, yet the reality, your roots um, of the system are really, really hard to change. Um, and I think in terms of what it means, like in a nutshell, in terms of cooperation with the IMF is that... Um, the downside is that, yes, Ukraine really just is wasting time on undoing reforms that were done with so much difficulty over the past five years. So it's just wasting time. Um, and in the meantime, running short on, of, on, running short on money. But the upside is, I think, is that there is no will to completely walk, from the, uh, walk away from the MF. And there is no will to default. Elena, so, do you yeah. um, do, do you see it the same way, or? Well, I was almost going to use exactly the same words: the two steps forward, one step back. I just we are in the period where it's two steps back, one step forward, and I think yeah. this kind of walls happens in Ukraine regularly over the last twenty years. And I think the issue here has been there hasn't never been decisiveness to change the structure of the the oligarchic structure of the system. So we sort of were painted different colors and sometimes it's more successful, but the fundamental oligarchic structure has never changed. And it's that the key problem. I mean, I agree. I, I think because if you remember uh, Yushchenko when he was in office after the Orange Revolution, and again, there was the same euphoria, there was the same hope for change. And then in 2006, there was a massive influx of people buying up banks, sending valuations six times book because they thought finally Ukraine's going to take off. But he also did a deal with the oligarchs. And I kind of think you have to as the president. And that's where it all goes wrong. Um, and here we are, it seems, again, people are talking about the oligarchs in cahoots with Russia are trying to undo, in fact, to you know, completely undermine Zelensky's position and the reforms he's making. Is that really the key problem? 
Well, I think it is the key problem, although neither of us are experts in anti, sort of anti-money laundering of the, of the proceeds. But um, I think there is a natural step where there is complete capture of the state system by oligarchs. And then as the system changes, they get the message that that's no longer acceptable and they need to transform into more legitimate business and step away from influencing government, from capturing government. And I think that is there are always challenges. And as you say, they will always try to maintain that influence. And we have seen it in many other transition economies. I think, you know, post-Yugoslav space is one of those uh, very good examples I used to work on. Uh, but you need to move forward. You need to work through that and move forward to a more democratic, to a more sort of uh, parliament-based, government-based, uh, sort of legally-based system. And in Ukraine, we've never quite made that step. And I think that's where I was sort of spending time in the same place, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Given those yeah. problems, uh, I think the pertinent question to ask both of you is, A, the IMF program is now suspended. I mean, they've said sort of officially that no money this year. There's 700 million outstanding for this you know, second half of the year, which has now not come. But is the IMF going to completely halt the program? And can we also say that the reform effort has totally stopped? Well, I mean, I think it's um, the IMF is never totally halting uh, the process. It's like the program is off track, it's suspended, and that's where it is. The, uh, the ball is totally on the authorities' field. Um, I am seeing signs that uh, the government is making really big renewed efforts to renew the cooperation because they see they really can't finance the budget deficit at all. At the moment, all the non-protective spending has been suspended. So only uh, public sector wages and healthcare and education are being financed. Uh, so they really feel they, because domestically they can't borrow anymore, like almost, the banks have kind of re reached capacity of buying government bonds. And externally also they can't borrow um, at affordable rates, unless IMF cooperation resumes. Um, so I think the, the efforts that are easier to make, so there are three outstanding issues. One is um, the easiest one is budget for the next year, which is um, currently standing at 6% of GDP deficits. Uh, it needs to be five. I think that they will reach consensus on pretty soon and will revise the budget. Second, two big issues which are very hard to fix is the, all the scaling back of the anti-corruption reforms that you mentioned and restoring trust and confidence in independence of the national bank. Um, there are certain mechanisms that are being considered with regards to the anti-corruption reform, certain laws um, that they're planning to, to pass. But the national bank, I see... Um, I see reports that maybe some formal change of the structure kind of reinforcing uh, a bit the formally reinforcing the responsibilities uh, of governors, in, including potentially restoring the responsibilities of uh, Roshkova, who was deprived of her banking supervision powers, um, could help. But ultimately, I think it will be how to say, half-baked effort just to do enough to renew the IMF cooperation. IMF also kind of never had, has the guts to... Can I, also can I ask you both, because you follow this closely, and the whole story, for those who don't know, Roshkova was the deputy um, governor, and she 
drove the banking reforms. Um, she still is. She still is a governor, a deputy <laughs> governor. Yeah, I mean, basically what happened there is uh, with uh, remarkable speed, the new governor has uh, replaced four deputy governors. And even to take a step back, almost two or three days after the program was approved, the central bank governor uh, resigned, the previous central bank governor, Smolly, Jakob Smolly, who actually also drove a lot of the reforms and continued from Gontareva. Um, and then pushed out, maybe pushed out that completely pushed out. <laughs> yes. And he officially said that the president was also behind it. He officially, well, he openly told him, yes, you should go. Uh, that was really uh, like one of a kind. You know, Ukraine has never gone off track with the IMF so quickly after literally a few that, days. And that was literally the week after the SBA was agreed. And moreover, yeah. in the statement, yeah. the, the IMF said explicitly, and I think it mentioned it four times, don't, yeah. don't touch the National Bank. Don't touch the Central and Bank. Yeah. And a week yeah. later, there was this coup. But my question to you, yeah. it's not clear that, that the new governor, um, Shevchenko, he, the, the fear is that the independence is going to go. But so far, the statements he's made, the actions he's done, uh, it's kind of business as usual, although he's clearly taking control and pushing the old team out, putting in his new team. But well, and also curtailing the powers of the two remaining governors. These are the actions that we can say the actions that are clearly negative for the independence. As far as policy is concerned, and uh, mostly, yeah. th th there's not that much change. I mean, there's talk of sinking the exchange rate to 30. At the moment, it's whatever it is, 26 grivna uh, to the dollar. And there's talk about taking it to 30, um, which the oligarchs would like because it makes them more which will happen next year anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think the issue here is opening up space for potentially uh, monetary financing of the budget. Mm. So I think that's yes. where we're preparing the ground. I mean, you don't, you don't need to have a sort of announcement of rate cuts next meeting, but I think we're preparing the ground for this optionality. They might end up not using it if they manage to somehow find common ground with the fund. But this gives them optionality and that gives them a little bit more space because reserves are 26 billion until you expand money supply in such a way that it starts blowing through reserves and the effects. Um, they might have extra months. And with banks holding about 30 percent of their banking, um, total banking assets um, in government bonds, you can sort of stuff them more with it. You yeah. can give them more FX local local law bonds as well, potentially, like they've done in the past. But the best for them, uh, in a way, uh, or sort of the most, the least prudent, but would be to try monetary financing of the budget if they really cannot either issue externally cheaply enough, and they won't be able to issue enough. They might issue some, and they've also done in the past bridge financing tricks to, for, say, six months at a very expensive terms and or private placement. They can try that as well, but this gives them a little bit more room for maneuver while they they waste reserves. If they well, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, you're, you've just brought out a paper, or just about to bring out a paper, and you talk there's going to be a small deficit of what 0 0.8 this year, and next year and um, on the current account, yes. Yeah, and Evgeny is also saying that you know the budget deficit is going to be next year around six percent of GDP, which is going to be hard to finance, and. You also said in your paper that, that this is going to be a struggle to finance this uh, without the IMF program. Because like you say, there's this knock-on effect. If you don't have the IMF money, then you can't get the World Bank money, you can't get the EU money. And moreover, if you go into the market to issue a Eurobond, which they're talking about now, um, it becomes very expensive. 
So, I mean, looking forward to next year, I mean, one of the options in that case is you just print. That, that's how you pay for everything, you just print. But I think that, is that what's going to happen? I think that's one of the very likely scenarios for next year, especially when you have a current account which is in a very small deficit, which is unusual for Ukraine or near balance. Um, that gives them a bit more room on the balance of payments because normally you would have to finance the current account deficit, then potential repayments, and then if you start printing money on top of that and people start converting into foreign exchange, then it becomes untenable very quick, uh, very quickly. But given that they have accumulated reserves, they have or near, let's say, zero current account deficit, uh, then they have to manage repayments. And then if they print money and it starts sort of pressing on reserves, you think that you can last a little bit longer. The problem is, is the exponential pressure on reserves. It's never sort of, you know, it's never the digital. It's never sort of, um, you know, you lose a few billion and that's it, that's it. And I think that's where the most presidents in Ukraine fail to grasp the problem. They think, well, 26 billion, say minus 6 billion for domestic monetary financing of the deficit. Look, we're still fine. It's only 20, it's 20 still a lot of reserves left. But the, what they forget is that it gets very quickly exponential. Um, and that's when you have a problem. Yeah, okay. and I, you were saying, yeah, you were saying earlier that um, the debt repayment schedule for the rest of this year is pretty light, but next year um, it goes up. Uh, I'm not sure. It's like three to five billion yeah. to pay. Um, uh, I think we we sort of need to look um, a little bit separately at external debt repayment and local and local fiscal financing needs in general. Uh, yeah, external debt repayment for this year's light. The next peak will be in September next year. Uh, but second half of next year is a huge challenge. Like, uh, for example, um, it, it's distributed like in terms of external financing uh, in a such a way that it's about one, one, one and a half billion for the net for the first half of the year and 11 billion for the second half of the year. So it's, uh, they really need to get their act together by, you know, soon, preferably by uh, end of Q1 of next they, year. They, there's no way that uh, with 26 in the bank and um, the local debt investment, uh, the, the foreign investment into the local debt market is now sinking. Um, it's, they had an option yeah. yesterday and they had to add 125 basis points to the rate in order to get any money at yeah. all. And yeah. they just no, covered the local debt repayments. From yeah, that. so without the IMF, uh, obviously you can't repay external debt with, by printing money. So for external uh, debt repayments next year, they really need the IMF. There's just no other scenario. Locally, they still have very serious challenges this year. They need to find about 3% of GDP uh, this year, even with the reduced budget deficit. You know, so yeah, like actually current account might be even in a huge surplus this year. Like um, it's already in surplus 3.7%. But fiscally, they just can't uh, meet their expenditure needs. So these are, um, you know, and if, if you're really in the middle of the pandemic, if you can't um, supply the hospitals, if you, uh, if you can't meet certain basic needs, that can become a local political problem as well. So I think these are slightly two different things. And um, while external debt challenges are more like second half of next year, uh, all the local financing and just keeping the economy afl afloat is already now. Uh, Lena, and I think let me ask, I'm just going to show here your paper. I think you can see that now. 
And there's a debt amortization uh, table here. I mean, where do you think this money for the um, the second quarter uh, Q3? It has to come out of reserves. It's uh, That's it. You know, I think unless, and Evgeny also has written beautifully about it, unless we have an agreement with the fund, the whole money has to come out of reserves. Let's say the economy, the reason they have a surplus this year is because the economy tanked in the first half of the year. And if you look at the quarterly profile of balance of payments, you know, we're already beginning to go back into little deficit um, recently. So if economy stabilizes next year, and we've seen very strong quarter three results already, um, we will have pickup in imports as well. So the best case scenario is the current account flat and then full repayments have to come out out of reserves. Um, and on top of that, you have to look for local financing. And just very quickly on the on the popularity, right? Um, you know, Zelensky has been threatening that he's going to dissolve Prada. But the problem is, given what happened in the local elections, they're not going to perform very well. So it might yeah. not be in his interest. He might lose majority in Rada to actually dissolve parliament. And parliament knows that very well. So he's also lost political weight as well. Well, his political room for maneuver is like rapidly narrowing, um, which is also not good because there's some tough decisions to make. Well, what about the the option of foreign uh, borrowing? Look, I've, I've got another chart here. I just updated this morning, uh, and this is the domestic issues um, that, with the foreign investment being the gold line, and you can see that since the the crisis started in February, that they've been selling off. But this was worth five billion dollars last year in terms of access to cash, foreign money that the government had. Now that's disappearing quickly. So that's another route um, that's being shut off to them. And it's five billion is a lot. And the only other one I can think of is the remittances, which actually have held up surprisingly well uh, in this whole crisis. And I think Ukraine's taking in something about $10 billion a year, 12 billion, which is very useful money. But again, it's not gonna be enough, is it? It helps you on the current account, but, you know, the issue here is more on the fiscal account as well, right? You know, so that's, it's not going to help you on the fiscal, fiscal remittances, right? That helps you on the margin. And that's already incorporated in our current account forecast, the fact that remittances held up uh, pretty well. The problem is for local markets globally, the bar is much higher for investors to come back. There is more interest maybe in external debt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, and they might be able to issue neurobonds expensively next year. You know, maybe I don't know. I'm also curious to hear what Evgenia is saying. I have about one and a half, maybe two billion max issued as, as as next year, and they can go to this very expensive private placements that they have done in the past, which they call bridge financing, being irresponsible, borrowing expensively from the future generations. And um, but for domestic markets, um, the whole emerging markets are having a hard time attracting back inflows into local markets, and Ukraine is just making it extra difficult for itself. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, basically, um, yes, we're going to have current account in deficit next year. Most likely, you're not going to, um, like, it's not wise to just spend all your reserves on repaying. As soon as the markets see that, let's say, you're not issuing, uh, externally, because let's let's say, I mean, external appetite, what they're benefiting from is that market is just completely uh, gloats with, with money, with liquidity. So they could issue external debt uh, relatively easily as soon as there are some positive signs about the IMF. Um, but yeah, local markets, external non-residents are not really willing to enter. And if markets see that you're spending the bulk of your reserves on repaying external debt, that's immediately going to um, hit the revenue, hit inflation. And so, yeah, it's, things are fine if you're spending 
two, three, four billion of reserves on repaying and not rolling over your debt, you can't spend half of it. So in that sense, uh, but I, that's the thing. I still think on the upside, I know we are sort of, we're running out of, uh, of time. On the upside, I think Ukraine is usually like, yeah, getting close to the precipice uh, in terms of the IMF and external repayments and everything. And then they do just enough to renew IMF cooperation. It's so not exactly ideal, but I don't think there will be a complete breakdown. So I was going to say, I mean, we're, we're actually out of time now, um, but... Briefly, your prediction is there there won't be a crisis. There'll be, you know, normal business as usual in Ukraine where it muddles through somehow, where it stitches together some sort of IMF deal at the last minute. And exactly. there's enough money that comes in to prevent a full meltdown. Yeah? Exactly. Yes, I Sometimes think... Sometimes in Q1. Yes, we have the sort of... Well, they're not going to default on external debt especially. And it's going to go to near crisis. And then the 11th hour, we'll get some news. But I think investors will have to be at the edge of their chairs watching this uh, drama uh, for the next six months. It's okay. great for journalists. I mean, it's the most exciting <laughs> story out there. Uh, ladies, I'd like to thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, we're out of time. Very interesting. And of course, it's now it's one to watch, isn't it? So we'll come back in the next, uh, have the next episode of this, this soap opera. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The show goes on. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you very yeah. much. All the best. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.